The title of this morning's message is Waking Up to Christmas, and I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading in verses 15 through 19. It's a familiar story. We read it to the children last week, the shepherds coming in response to an angelic announcement where the angel told them that unto you this day in the city of Bethlehem there's born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and they were so excited. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, we read, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I really want to focus on that last phrase, that last verse. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Like today, there are many different reactions to Christmas for many many people. It is a holiday that is separ- uh, celebrated and gifts are given and families come together and friends come together. And we, we understand all of that, but for the most part, there are many people who are, are indifferent to the message of Christmas and why we do it. There are others who are actively hostile. We see this illustrated in the life of King Herod who are actively hostile to the core message of Christmas. They know what it is, but they don't like it, and so they are, they are hostile to this notion of God becoming a man and making himself known in that way. There are others who are absolutely amazed, and they have all kinds of feelings and emotions related to Christmas. And they come to church, and they experience something for a moment, but it doesn't necessarily last. And like the people in verse, verse 17 or 18 Those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But it didn't seem to last. They didn't seem to remember. They didn't seem to pay attention as this little one grew up and became a man. And and to really underscore it, when Luke writes his gospel in verse 19, he, he, he uses the word in English, but, but he's drawing a contrast between those who were indifferent, those who were hostile, those who were amazed. And then he says, but... In contrast to all of that, but Mary kept, meaning she took all these these things that she was hearing and all these things that she was experiencing, and she treasured them in her mind. She's, She's obviously the source for many of the things Luke records that nobody else records. And so she, she kept all these things, literally all of these spoken words, all of these utterances that were being being shared with her, things that they were experiencing, they they told her, things that she experienced herself. These spoken words, she kept all the words and pondered them in her heart. And um, these words, they just kept coming together in her mind. And she kept turning them over and over and over in her soul. And as a a consequence of that, Mary 
thought deeply and carefully about all of the events surrounding the birth of her own son. And she knew that there was great significance to him. She recognized that he was, he was special. But she was processing all of this, thinking about it, in a way that I believe is an example for you and me. That we should not let, even one more time, a Christmas go by without us thinking profoundly about it. In that sense, she woke up to Christmas. She was awakened. She had a Christmas awakening like so many others in the Christmas text that we've been studying. She woke up to it. She understood the meaning, the significance. It was real to her. Is it to you? As Mary thought about the different things, we know that there were, there were several realizations because of the things that she said and the things that she heard that helped her wake up to the meaning of Christmas. What were those things? Three realizations that will wake you this Christmas. First of all, everyone needs a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. There are no exceptions. All of us need a Savior. Mary realized this when the angel first appeared to her and told her what was coming. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, And behold, the angel said, You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. That was the first clue. But later the angel appeared to Joseph and Matthew. And, and this time he explained himself. In Matthew 1, verse 21, the angel said to Joseph, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And so that was his mission. And his name captured his purpose and his mission. But to be a savior means that someone is in trouble. That someone needs to be rescued. And all of us need that. We all have the same common problem. He shall save his people from their sins. And, and how much, maybe the older you get, maybe you realize it more, how much have you seen how your own brokenness, your own sinfulness, has created more trouble for you than anything else in life? And you wish you could change. And you wish you could, could put it back together. And you wish you could undo the damage that you feel that you've caused. And you wish you could change it. You need a Savior. At Christmas time, it seems to magnify or amplify the problems that we carry, all of us have. And some of you this morning are sitting here absolutely overwhelmed by the troubles and, and problems that you have or the losses that you've experienced. You need to be rescued. You, you are facing a challenge as the new year approaches, and it, it may deal with your home, it may deal with your work, it may deal with thousands of other issues in your life. And maybe from someone else's perspective, they wouldn't see it as a big thing. But for you, it's a big thing. And it's more than you can handle, more than you can resolve, more than you can have an answer to. You need a Savior. You need to be rescued. And so Mary understood this. Mary knew this about herself, that she needed to be rescued. Later, she told her cousin Elizabeth 
in the Magnificat, the this, this song that she burst out with in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord, she told Elizabeth, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She needed a Savior. She needed to be rescued. And she knew that herself. That was her first realization. There's a second one. Everyone not only needs a Savior, everyone needs a shepherd. Mary realized this when the wise men told her. And we know that someone, someone took the experience of the wise men and relayed it to Mary and Joseph. And I believe it was them. And they eventually told Luke because we have this story here. And so as they passed through Jerusalem and they encountered Herod, and Herod was disturbed because there was going to be another king that was being born. And he went to his priests and he went to his wise men and they searched the scriptures and discovered this king was going to be born in Bethlehem. The scripture says in Matthew 2 verse 6, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Mary knew that. She heard that. They came and shared that with her. Maybe she knew it from her own training as a little girl but but at this point, she knew it. She remembered it. She treasured it. She pondered it. A ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was this baby that she was raising. And she recalled what Elizabeth said when they met. And the baby, John the Baptist, inside Elizabeth, leapt with joy when he heard Mary's voice. And Elizabeth said, in Luke 1.43, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. This baby inside of Mary was Elizabeth's Lord. And this was the one prophesied, a ruler who will shepherd my people. Literally, Elizabeth is saying, the mother of the Lord of me. The mother of the Lord of me. He came as a savior, but he also came as a shepherd. And everyone needs a shepherd to rescue you and to rule you. Sheep, sheep desperately need a shepherd. Sheep are not smart. Sheep wander off. They get hungry. They don't know where the food is. The shepherd does. They wander off. They get lost. They don't know the way home. The shepherd does. They're broken and hurt, and they, they've created their own difficult and harm inducing situations they don't know how to fix it but the shepherd does they face monsters wolves lions dangers on every turn they need someone to protect them they don't even know how much danger they're in they can't even see the dangers they're facing but the shepherd does and everyone needs a shepherd and mary understood this when she thought about god and what god had done for her she understood that he, that she was not created to be independent of God. She was created to be dependent and intimate with Him. In Luke chapter 1, verse 49, she sings out, For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Like Mary, do you know that you need a Savior and you need a shepherd? But there's a third realization that Mary had, and that's that everyone needs God. Mary realized this when the angel told her that this baby would not have a human father. In Luke chapter 1, verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? 
And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, a man can't rescue you. Just an ordinary man cannot rescue you. And an ordinary man cannot rule you and quiet the storms in your own soul and protect you and provide the guidance and the food and the protection that you need. But God can. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Isaiah prophesied his coming in this way. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, not your shoulder. The government will be upon his shoulder. And, and for someone to do that, to take the whole government of the world, the planet, and your life and put it on his shoulder, what kind of person is this? And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, an eternal Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Everyone needs God if they're going to have a Savior and a shepherd. You were made for this relationship. This week, several of us have the opportunity to read the Christmas story in the schools. And we have to do that under certain guidelines, and we respect those guidelines. We always do. And we talk about it in terms of history. It's a historical event that, that uh, Christians celebrate at Christmas, and it's the driver behind the Christmas season, and we talk about it in those terms. But as I, as I share with the children, it's always interesting to me, and we all have similar experiences. We get asked some really tough questions. I, I can't even talk about some of the questions I get asked. But it's really interesting. They, they all want to talk about their own experience at Christmas, and I let them. I say, look, I'm going to make a deal with you. I kind of cut a deal, a covenant with them. I say, look, I'm going to tell you the Christmas story, and I'm going to tell you a couple of things that I think make it really tell me anything you want. And so when I get done, you know, of course, there's always one that's raising their hand the whole time. I said, put the hand down, put it down. But then there's always, there's always at the end, they get so excited because now it's time to ask questions. I get done, and they raise questions, and there's a bunch of them raise their hand. And I call on the first one, and invariably in every class, the same thing happens. I say, you, you, sir, what would you like to ask? And I hurt for them. I do. I look at them, I say, you know, sometimes that happens to me. It's okay. And, and so we have this great experience with, with the kids. One of the things that, that I want them to understand is why Christians, why we as Christians celebrate Christmas. The heart of it is that we believe that God became a man. That the heart of Christmas, God became a man. The question is why? Why would God do such a thing? Why would God become a man? And we talk about that. For grown-ups today, I want to read something. I'm going to do something different with you than I did with the children. But, but I want to read something to you. How many of you all remember Paul Harvey? Yeah, some of you all are old enough to remember Paul Harvey. He used to read different things on the radio. They were always very profound, very meaningful. And every Christmas, he read this. Now, he did not write this. He looked for years to find out who authored this never found the author, 
But listen to what he, what he said. It's called The Man and the Birds. Listen. The man I'm going to tell you about was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man. Generous to his family and upright in dealings with men. But he just didn't believe in all of that incarnation stuff that the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he would feel like a hypocrite and that he would rather just stay at home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the late-night service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound. Then another, and then another. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against the living room window, but when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled outside miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm, and in a desperate search for shelter, they had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That is what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is to direct the birds into the shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them, and he hurried back to the house and fetched some breadcrumbs. He sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow, lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He, he tried catching them, but could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around and waving his arms. Instead, they just scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. That's when he realized they were afraid of him. To them, think of some way to let them know they can trust me. That I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Any movie made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. He thought to himself, if only I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language, then I could tell them not to be afraid. I could show them the way to be safe and warm to the barn, but I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells, Adeste Fidelis, listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas, and he sank to his knees 
in the snow. I wonder if like that man you have thought, I don't understand why God would become a man. Why he would do such a ridiculous thing. And being who he was, if he's that kind of a God, why would he come as such an ordinary baby in such poor and humble circumstances? Why would he do that? Why would he start at the very lowest level of human experience? Have you considered what Mary knew? That he did that so that God, who is greater than anything you and I have ever known, who knows all things, has more power, more capacity for love and forgiveness than you and I have ever imagined. Could it be possible that he became a man so that you might know him? That he came as a baby so you might know him? So that he might be able to say to you the things that you would hear no other way? So that you might hear him say, I love you. Might hear him say, I'm here to rescue you. There is a way. Believe me. Trust me. Follow me. There's a better place than where you are.